Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I'm Ben Maku, national security reporter with Vice, and this is Cyber, a podcast from Motherboard about hacking. Welcome to our very first episode. A new 60 Minutes report reveals it may be much easier to hack into a personal cell phone than you might think. So hacking, hackers, the cyber, cyber war, the internets. This stuff gets complicated really fast, so it's no wonder a lot of people don't know what it is or how it all works. But on this episode, we're going to break down a type of hacking that could affect anyone. No, this isn't Sony getting owned or somebody selling NSA hacking tools. It's less talked about, smaller scale, more personal. This is about your phone. Imagine if you woke up to this phone call. Yeah, I want three bitcoins, three, four bitcoins, and I'm going to leave you alone. But why would you do something like this? Because I can. Because that's how we make money these days. Okay, I don't have any bitcoins. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, two grand in Ripple or something on Binance. You're going to get me three bitcoins. I don't have any Bitcoins. Yeah, well, get me like 18K in some other currency. I don't give a shit. Ethereum, I don't know. Whatever, man. Whatever whatever floats your boat, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't even know how I would do that or why. Why are you doing this? This guy, he calls himself Sebastian. He's doing something called simjacking. And the other voice on the phone, the guy getting hacked, he sent us this recording because something really unexpected happens. So for this story, I wanted to talk to Motherboard's Lorenzo Franceschi Bicurai, superstar cybersecurity reporter, about his and reporter Joseph Cox's story. All right, so Lorenzo, this phone call freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would freak me out too. But... More importantly, I was confused by it. How exactly does this work, SIM jacking? So SIM jacking, or also called SIM swapping or port out scam, all these terms are the same. SIM jacking essentially is when a hacker decides to steal your phone number for whatever reason. And the way they do it is that they call your cell phone provider, let's say T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, whatever, and they pretend to be you. So they call them and say, hey, I'm Ben, I need my phone number because... Maybe they they invent some story that they lost their phone or whatever, and they need their phone number reactivated. Once they do that, what happens on your side as a victim is that you lose 
your phone service. So your phone becomes phone calls. You cannot receive text messages. That's the only warning you receive. Sometimes you get a text message saying, uh, you know, hey, this is T-Mobile. Thank you for calling us. Uh, we transferred your phone number. And, you know, usually the way victims have described it to me is that they freak out because they're like, wait a second, I did not call T-Mobile. You know, what is going on? I cannot make calls. My phone is dead. What's going on? And in the background, what's happening is that the hackers are using your phone number to reset all your accounts or to try to hack into all the accounts they can. So usually what they do go for first is your email because your email gives them the keys to other services. Think of your bank. Probably you have uh, your bank account uh, registered to your email. Uh, if you have a cryptocurrency account, it's probably registered to your email. Even um, airplane miles are probably registered to your emails. You know, all these things that are linked to your email, they can get into at that point. So basically that call, wow, incredibly unsettling, is when the hack is going poorly. Yeah, and in fact, if you get that call, it's almost good news because then you have some amount of control. Because if everything goes according to plan, which most of the times, unfortunately, it does, you're not going to know what's going on. All you're going to see is that your phone lost service and, uh, you know, you might not even be alarmed because maybe you're on a hike and you're like, oh, well, there's just no service here. But in the meantime, some 19-year-old idiot is, you know, stealing your money. So what exactly can you do to protect yourself against this type of hack? So here's the bad news. Uh, There's very little you can do, unfortunately. And that's because... The hackers are attacking phone companies. They're attacking you, but through your telecom provider, your cell phone provider. There's a few things you can do. They're not silver bullets. One of the things you can do is add um, a passcode to your cell phone account. Uh, This is like separate from the password that you use to access like your online bills. It's only a password that you will use when you call, you know, your T-Mobile, your AT&T or whatever phone provider you use. And that's going to be basically used to verify that it's really you. So the idea there is that if I'm trying to hack you and I'm trying to pretend I'm you calling the phone company, uh, I have to provide this code. So that's a great idea that in theory should work. Uh, But in practice, I heard uh, several stories of people that got hacked uh, via SIM jacking and they had this code and essentially the hackers just went around it. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, in theory, two-factor authentication should be great because, you know, it's not just your password. There's also the second code. But actually, and here's the real twist that surprised me when I started working on this story, two-factor authentication in this case could actually hurt you. So two-factor authentication, all that stuff that everyone in the cyber community tells you is sort of this bulletproof way of making sure you don't get hacked, that doesn't actually work. Two-factor is good as long as you're not using your phone number because that's that's the key, right? If the hackers get control of your phone number, then they don't even need your password. Like, it basically becomes one factor and they control it. Because the way two-factor works most of the time is that once you give, uh, let's say, Google, right? If you're using two-factor on Gmail, you give Google your phone number and that's not only used to deliver, you know, these uh, codes that you use for logging in, it's also used for resetting your account. So let's say that one day you hit your head on the on the wall and you forget your password. Uh, you can go to Google and say, hey, I forgot my password. And what Google will do is send you a reset link on your phone. So if I take control of your phone number, I don't even need your password. 
So the way to make two-factor work in this case is to eliminate your phone number from all your accounts or use a phone number that's not a real phone number, as in it's not a phone number provided by a company, like a telecom company. So you can use a Google Voice number, a Skype number, uh, any other kind of uh, voice over IP number, because those numbers are not going to be as easy to hijack as a regular phone number. So wait, walk me through it. If a hacker is trying to do this or a SIM jacker, how do they come across getting the number? Is it just finding out what the number is and then and then getting information from the dark web? Like, how do you get it? Yeah, I think the best way to understand how these attacks work is just, you know, run through it. Let's pretend that I'm a criminal and I'm trying to hack you for whatever reason. Maybe I know that you have a lot of Bitcoin. So I choose to target you. Uh, the next trick is to find out your phone number which in some cases is maybe hard, in some cases may not be very hard. You know, like white pages, you could use white pages, you could use, I don't know, any kind of other online um, um, service like that. And once I have your phone number, I just need to figure out what provider you have, which is also relatively easy. I think you can just Google the number and a bunch of websites will tell you what the provider is. So at that point, I'm calling your provider and I'm pretending to be you. And I'm saying, hey, I'm Ben, I lost my phone, I lost my SIM card, whatever. I use, you know, I can invent whatever story uh, is going to be more credible, essentially. At that point, I tell the, you know, the customer service um, specialist, I tell them, I need you to transfer my number to this new SIM card they already bought. I have a new SIM card here, I have a new phone, I just need to, what they call, port out my old number to this new SIM card. This is where it depends on who you're talking to, what company you're talking to, etc. But in theory, they should try to verify that it's really you, right? Because I'm not Ben, I'm Lorenzo. So maybe they can ask me, uh, okay, Ben, what's your social security number? And, you know, unfortunately, that's in theory, that should be secret, but we know that it's not. Like, social security numbers get sold uh, on the dark web for relatively cheap. You know, T-Mobile lost 50 million of them a couple of years ago. Uh, Equifax lost 150 million of them uh, last year. So it's like, at this point, we should probably consider social security numbers as, you know, semi-public. But they'll ask those questions like, what was the name of your first pet or Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't even ask for a social security number. Sometimes the question is, what was your last uh, home address? Which, again, in theory should be secret, but it's probably on some of these websites. Like Which is pages. total bullshit because you can totally, like, type in somebody's name and find like, yeah. past addresses. Yeah, this is the real weakness in this whole hack. Like, cell phone providers are really not doing an, anything to stop this. I mean, that's a little unfair. They are trying to stop this, obviously. But the way they verify your identity through a phone call is totally not enough. And that's where the criminals come in, because all they need to do is essentially call up T-Mobile, say, I'm Ben, give me this number, give me my number, which is not my number, it's your number. And T-Mobile gives it to them. And at that point, it's game over. So what did the guy in the phone call, your source, what did he do? Because, I mean, I'm no cyber security expert, and I'd imagine a lot of people aren't. How do you prevent this? I mean, what did he do? Yeah, in this case, this is a, a very interesting case because, you know, as I was explaining before, like, the interaction usually is between the criminal and, you know, the AT&T or Verizon person. In this case, and what's interesting about this case is that the hacker went directly to the victim. Normally, the interaction is between the hacker or criminal and the cell phone provider's, uh, you know, customer support uh, person. In this case, the hacker called the victim and essentially tried to extort him. And the victim tried to talk him out of it. This is how you make money? 
why don't we why don't we talk this through? Why don't I help you? You seem like you. I mean, you seem like you can use some help. Help with what? I mean, with like figuring out how to like make a living like without fucking people over. I mean, I feel like I feel sympathy for you. Yeah, well, why don't you tell me what? Why are you in a situation where you need this money so badly? Because I did some things that I truly regret about a year ago, and I've been I've been stuck in it for longer than than a few months now. So okay, that's okay. People make mistakes. I understand, and um, and there's no judgment there. Um, can you be a little bit more specific with the types of mistakes that you've made and when what you got yourself into? Well, let's just say I maybe screwed the wrong guy over, and uh, basically I got I got thrown in the mud, and I really just need his money right now. You know, as somebody who's been in the situation, I had somebody I've had somebody mentor me and help me, and I would like to be able to give that back to you. And listen, you threatening me and making me send you Ripple to be able to pay someone else back, that's going to be a very temporary fix. Who knows what's next? Your mindset is wrong. You're just trying to get to the next step. You're not thinking long term. You're not thinking about the Sebastian who you want to be one day. I don't know who you want to be one day. I don't know anything about you. I don't know if you have a family. I don't know if you have parents. I don't know anything about you. But you're, you're not thinking about the Sebastian who wants to create the life for himself that is, is what you were going to want in your future. You're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about how do I get $3,000 or $10,000, whatever it is, to get myself out of this situation and get by for the next six months. Am I right? Yeah, I guess you might be right. So basically what the guy did was he engaged his humanity, the hacker's humanity, something you don't see very often. Yeah, and that's... Um... That's something that worked in this case, I think, because some of the people doing these kind of attacks are usually very young, at least in, you know, the people that we've been able to identify. We're talking about, like, teenagers or early 20s. Um, you know, I, I know this is going to sound a little bit like a stereotype, but these guys are really, like... Like a guy in a hoodie in his parents' basement. Yeah, it's really, like... Just scamming people. Yeah, like, you know, the people that have been identified and arrested so far in this sort of attacks are all... I think the oldest one that we know of was, like, 26 or 27. I think there was a guy that was 30-something. But then it was, like, uh, one 19-year-old, one 21-year-old. You know, essentially people that have either just left high school and or just got into college. So these are all essentially young men not having fully developed frontal cortexes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it, as much as it sounds like a stereotype of the hacker, it really is like that. It's like young people, they're gamers sometimes. They're very obsess- obsessive gamers. These guys are young, uh, male, bored. You know, like if maybe if it's the summer, they don't have that much to do because they're out of school. So, yeah, it's really like young people with not that much to do and uh, some they have some skills, obviously, because they know how to trick people into doing what they want. So they're social engineers. So in this particular case, though, this guy doesn't seem so much bored as he does desperate. I think what happened here is that the criminal went through the usual protocol, quote-unquote, for this kind of attack and basically uh, ran into a wall and he realized that the only chance to get what he wanted was to actually 
extorted out of the victim. I think it was kind of a Hail Mary. He just went for it and hoped that he could, like, convince the victim to give him what he wanted. And he ended up getting talked out of it. <laughs> Can you give me an apology? Yeah, well, I'm not really good at those, but, uh, I mean, I'm sincerely sorry for the trouble I caused you, and uh, I wish it wouldn't have ended this way. Well, I respect that, and, uh, yeah, man, I... I I hope I, you know, I think that you got potential, man. Just got to go down the right path and um, let's go to sleep and touch base tomorrow. All right. All right, man. Sebastian, I appreciate you being a stand-up human being. And, uh, yeah, thank you. All right. Well, good night, buddy. Good night. Good morning. In a way, these are really targeted attacks, obviously, because they, the hackers are going for specific people. What types of people are they targeting exactly? It could be anyone, but only in the sense that to become a target or a victim, you need to be someone that has something that they want. So what is it these hackers actually want specifically? Is it Bitcoin? Why are they doing this? It depends. Sometimes, uh, obviously, Bitcoin is very appealing because it's essentially money, especially, you know, last year when it was like worth so much. Other times they attack you because they know they have a bank account, so they want to get money. Other times it's more unusual or something that you wouldn't have thought about. So sometimes they target you because you have an interesting social media handle. And by interesting social media handle, I mean something that is short or something that spells out a common name like rainbow or sex or video games or something like that. The reason why that's interesting is that there's a sort of a gray market online for these social media handles. So if I steal your, you know, at sex or at rainbow um, handle. Or rainbow sex. Yeah, rainbow sex. I can um, then sell it for relatively a lot of money on this weird community called OG users. And when I say Relatively a lot of money. I'm not talking about, you know, millions of dollars, but it can be like uh, 100, 200, maybe 1,000, 2,000. I don't know how much of this is a legend and how much of this is truth because it's really hard to verify. But I heard of stories of like handles being sold for $20,000, $30,000. And, you know, again, let's remember, these are like really young people. That's a lot of money for a college student. So is it rare for you to see these types of hackers being sympathetic? Yes, because, you know, when you think about criminals, sometimes you think about the stereotype, you know, it's like ruthless and, you know, you're thinking about the bad guys that will do whatever it takes to get what they want. And obviously in this case, you know, we're still talking about criminals, but, you know, they're human and again, they're young So I think some of them just don't realize what they're doing in a way. Like, I'm not trying to justify them, but I think that the interesting thing here is that some of them don't think that what they're doing is a crime and they don't think that there's a victim. Essentially, they just want something and they think they're somehow entitled to it and they don't think they're doing anything wrong. So it's kind of like a game. Like you're saying, a lot of them are gamers. Yeah, exactly. I think they do see it as a game. And that's probably why they also do it in groups. They do it in groups because in a typical attack, it's good to have a few people. Because I've heard stories of like mm, attacks where someone was, uh, let's say, one gang member 
was uh, trying to um, find personal information about the victim. Another one was calling the, um, you know, his cell phone provider. And another one maybe was handling the actual, like, a SIM card. So not only it's like a division of uh, skills and labor, I guess, but it's also probably like a little bit of a game. You know, these are maybe guys that play Fortnite together. And then when they got bored of playing Fortnite, they play this other game, which is stealing PlayStation handles or Instagram accounts from total strangers. But in this case, it's not some guy in a hoodie in his basement. Or maybe it is. But even so, this this particular person comes across as really emotionally actually human. Yeah, we had another interesting case like that too. This was like two people, uh, two criminals. They called uh, this couple in Utah and they, well, they hacked her because she had the Instagram account at Rainbow. So that was a... That's what they wanted because they thought it was worth something. And they called her because they took they took over her phone number, but they couldn't get into her Twitter, I think. They they were able to get into her email and get into her Instagram, but they wanted their her Twitter account, which was also at Rainbow. Because the other thing is that if you have at Rainbow on both Twitter and Instagram, then it's worth more than just at Rainbow on Instagram, you know? So so they called her and essentially they were like, hey, give us your Twitter account. And she was like, no. <laughs> um, and uh, it was, an, it was an, another interesting case because they played, I don't think they did it on purpose, but they played good cop, bad cop. So the first guy that called um, was like, uh, you know, fuck you, give us your Twitter. We're going to ruin your life. We're going to, you know, we're going to destroy you. And then when these couples started to like waste their time and... They also tried to talk them out of it. It didn't really work, but they were sort of like, you know, slowing them down. Then the, the second guy came onto the phone call and was like, hey, I'm sorry about my friend. He's a little bit of a, you know, he's a little bit angry, whatever. Uh, we're just trying to be nice. We just want your Twitter. And so it's, it's just like, I, I, I remember interviewing the couple and they were like, obviously we were very stressed, but also we were like, what the hell is going on? You know, who are these people that are like, you know, they sound super young and they are just, they just sound weird. I mean, how much money are they getting out of this? Some people are probably making very little money uh, because all they go for is like this, you know, Twitter handles and Instagram handles that they then have to resell, which is you never know if you're going to get money or not. But the the real criminals, and when I say real, I mean the the pros, so to speak, are the ones who go after Bitcoin investors and cryptocurrency investors. And those people are making millions, like literal millions. We reported on the case of a guy called uh, Joel Ortiz, who is a 19-year-old guy from Boston. And um, he was part of a gang, uh, you know, this sort of semi-jacking gang. And he's accused of stealing something like five or six million dollars throughout a few months. And the way they did it was essentially targeting people that they knew had a lot of money. It's still unclear exactly how they chose targets. That's one of the few uh, mysteries of these cases. But what they did was target people that were like um, publicly talking about their investments in cryptocurrency. Think about people that are on Twitter talking about, oh, I made like X amount of money um, investing in this token or this cryptocurrency or whatever. And, and then they went after their phone numbers, and once they had their phone numbers, they could get into their like uh, 
Coinbase or Gemini or whatever cryptocurrency website you can think of and take all their money. So if I'm not somebody with one of those handles that they're after, maybe I'm not as likely to get hacked, but I'm hearing more that this hack is possible on anyone. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're like, you know, uh, someone who brags on Twitter about their cryptocurrency investments, you should be careful. If you're someone who has, uh, you know, one of these uh, cool handles, you should be careful. But it really could happen to anyone. And it's not just, you know, I don't want to scare anyone and you shouldn't be scared because there are ways to uh, minimize the risk of these attacks. But it could be anyone because in the last year when I was reporting on these stories, I really heard from average people. They were just regular people like me and you. And the the only reason they got targeted is because some 20-year-old thought that they had some money in their bank or some money in their cryptocurrency account, and they were easy to target because their information was online, and so they went after them. So the, the takeaway here is that it could happen to you. There are ways to minimize the risks of that happening to you or you losing money. But, you know, I've gotten emails and voicemails from... 50-year-old moms, 20-year-old guys, it could really be anyone because all you need to become a target is essentially be someone who maybe has some money or maybe has something that can be worth some money and has a digital presence. And, you know, that's all of us. And unfortunately, a lot of our um, personal information is out there. So once I decide to hack you for whatever reason, I can probably do it this way. Cyber is a production of Vice Media and Motherboard. If you're liking the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. This episode was produced and edited by Sophie Cases. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.